welcome to the Hormones in Harmony podcast. I'm your host, Vivian Allred, former chronic illness sufferer turned trusted health practitioner. My passion is helping people to identify and address the root causes of their symptoms through my online business, Viva Natural Health. If you're struggling with confusing or stubborn symptoms that just won't go away despite your best efforts, then you're in the right place. If I can heal from a long list of symptoms and conditions, including cystic acne, hair loss, severe food reactions, and brain fog, then you can heal too. Stay tuned for weekly episodes that share expert guest interviews, Q&A, and solo episodes that are all intended to help you wherever you're at on your healing journey. The information shared on this podcast is intended for educational purposes only, and is not designed to replace the advice of your health practitioner. That said, let's get into today's episode. Hi guys, welcome back to the podcast. Today I'm joined by my friend and fellow practitioner, Rosie Tadman, who was on the podcast years and years ago, right at the start. It was something like episode number four or five, I think. You can go back into the archives and dig that one out. But she's back again after now having more experience she's also got two children now so she's a mum and yeah we've just we we didn't see each other for like five years and then we lived nearby to each other so we're definitely going to meet up more and I wanted to get her on the podcast to talk all about fertility issues because that is her area of expertise but before I cover what's going to be in this episode, let me just tell you a little bit about Rosie, if you're not familiar with her and her practice. So Rosie Tadman is a nutritional therapist who studied at the prestigious College of Naturopathic Medicine, the place that I studied at, but she was at the one in London. I was in Manchester, and I think she was the year above me. She has a home clinic in Cholton, which is in Manchester, and she sees clients from all over the UK and occasionally further afield on Zoom. She uses modern science plus traditional wisdom to support couples and solo mums or dads-to-be to conceive, and she looks at the root causes rather than masking symptoms. So a practitioner after my own heart, and we love doing this work, and we always have a little catch-up and discuss what's going on in the world. So Rosie is... Um, a practitioner who welcomes people from all different walks of life through her virtual door, whatever gender, ethnicity, sexual orientation or religion, everyone is welcome. And fertility issues can affect everyone. So that's why she does that. And she enjoys working with diverse individuals. So after the episode, I'm sure you're going to want to follow her. So Rosie's links and websites will be linked in the episode show notes. But because this was such a long and juicy episode, we actually were talking for we were on a call for about two hours, but it was an hour and a half for the podcast recording. I'm going to split it into two. So in this first part, we're going to cover how Rosie got into nutrition and then ultimately decided to specialize in fertility. Uh, she overcame IBS and some quite embarrassing symptoms. So she finally figured that out and she goes a little bit more into her journey in the first part of the episode. We talk about how conventional medicine and the traditional procedures such as IVF are different to the type of work that we do. They can both go together a lot of the time. It's only going to improve your your um, conception rates and all of those 
health markers and everything if you do improve your diet and maybe take some supplements if you're going through that conventional route but the holistic and naturopathic approach that we have is a little bit different because we're looking at why do you have fertility issues in the first place and let's optimize you as much as possible before you go into this quite um it can be quite a difficult time and it's a lot on the body it can be quite a physically intensive time too and then we go into in this first part some of the common causes of unexplained infertility but as you're going to notice we typically change our language and are very mindful to say things like subfertility or fertility challenges throughout the episode but i know in terms of what people look for when searching infertility is like a hot um kind of catchy term unfortunately it's very common these days so we want to shed light on some of these things to be looking into and in the episode we're going to cover how the vaginal but also endometrial microbiome could be partly at play and how things like high natural killer cells might not be the thing to focus all of your attention on. This was like back a few years ago, NTHFR in the fertility world, this genetic mutation was all the rage. I know it's kind of swapped and a lot of people are asking me and Rosie about natural killer cells. But again, no surprise that we have a more holistic natural opinion on them. Um, and then we discover and we discuss, sorry, how poor egg and sperm quality is probably one of the biggest factors as well, because your egg is how your um, progesterone is produced. The quality of the egg determines the quality and strength of the progesterone. And we know that low progesterone is a huge driver of miscarriages and infertility and just hormone imbalances in general. So if you're someone who's listening along, like I used to just on these fertility episodes but you're not wanting kids now or ever like it's great that you're learning about this and hopefully you can share this with people who might benefit and we discuss how sperm quality is important that's why fertility is really 50 50 so if you're the female doing all of this work on your health changing your diet detoxing taking the supplements but your partner still isn't exercising isn't drinking water is drinking too much alcohol is just being sedentary and unhealthy, then you might want to get the get them into shape and give them some more education and share this episode with them to let them know that all of this work that you're doing isn't going to be that effective if they're not also putting their the part in. There's also information on testing to consider, both conventional and also functional lab testing that could be good, good websites, loads of good resources as we go through the episode. But yeah, today's part one is going to be on mainly the vaginal microbiome, endometrial microbiome and sperm and egg quality. So I won't keep you waiting any longer. We're going to jump straight into the episode. I just know that you're going to love Rosie as much as I do. And yeah, hopefully I'll see you back here next week for part two on even more fertility and hormone information. So have a great day, guys. Hi everyone, welcome back to the podcast. Today I'm joined by practitioner and friend Rosie Tadman. So we've just gone through Rosie's bio and a little bit about her work, but yeah, Rosie, how you got into nutrition in the first place and decided to specialise in fertility? So I think like many practitioners, I was originally in the corporate world. 
So I'd done business and HR degree. I'd then gone on to working in big corporate organization like Mars Chocolate, which I do get the irony. Um, <laughs> Jiu-Jitsu, Teach First. And although I didn't hate my job, I just never really felt that fulfilled. And I'd always had IBS to the point that, you know, and you're like looking where the toilet is, just mm-hmm. thinking you might have an accident sort of level. Not ideal. Um, gone to the doctors, kind of had never had any... It was kind of that generic, oh, you've got IBS, just live with it. I was like, well, I don't think I want to live with the thought of maybe constantly cooing myself. Like, that doesn't seem like a way to live. <laughs> um, so then discovered the functional approach to nutrition. And then I also went to a Patrick Holford talk in London, which I was living near there at the time. And he did a whole talk at CNM where I ended up studying on like pill for an ill, how there is another way to look at the body than kind of the conventional medical approach. And I went with my dad, who was down in London at the time, and I should remember saying to him, this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. I love those moments. I remember I went to see um, a nutritional therapist and everything just worked out so perfectly because Mm. she ended up being the director of studies for the Manchester one. And it just felt like the stars were aligning. And I just knew when I went to like an open day for CNM, not that we're plugging CNM, the College of Naturopathic Medicine. Um, we both studied there. Rosie at the London branch. I was at the Manchester one. But yeah, I just felt when I was listening and reading more, I was like, this is it. This is what I'm going to do. Mm. That's so I think cool. it's such a different way to look at nutrition. Like, you know, and you've always been kind of taught like, and my thought on food prior to studying was pretty much calories in calories out like that was literally what I thought it was food was something to be controlled so that you didn't gain too much weight like I kind of had all of the which is like crazy to think that you think like yeah same and I I I thought at one point that I wanted to work with like food and health or I wanted to be like a curer or nurse but none of those ever clicked or just made sense I went to study health and social care but it was very pushy down the like nursery worker or social worker and I just didn't feel like it was right so that's when I had my like year off I went to America and then health issues started um and when I got back I I found the naturopathic nutrition route so I was the same I just felt like I I love food I love health but I don't want to be someone who prescribes diets and calorie counting or uh, works in a hospital Mm. Yeah, which leaves the naturopathic approach, mm-hmm. the functional medicine approach. So what happened with your your health? I'm guessing you figured figured it out? Yeah, so I figured it out. Um, no longer had IBS. Probably off the back of it, I would say the ongoing work after was more of a work around my relationship with food. So my IBS was resolved, like, hooray. Uh, but then it was like, did I? And throughout studying, actually, I would say I had more of a like my food must always be healthy. Like I had maybe a bit of an over-restriction, um, but that's also kind of processed that and out of that, which I think is hugely important when you're working with other people within nutrition. And fertility was really an interest to me because I knew one day that was something I wanted to embark on myself. So I think there's always that like invested interest, you know, if you think, you might benefit from it Mm -hmm. why not learn more about it now yeah or something that you're currently going through 
and that can kind of evolve because I, I don't yeah. know if you were the same but after every lecture if we did one on like musculoskeletal or digestion after everyone I was like right this is what I want to do apart from yeah. the sports <laughs> nutrition one but that one I was like no definitely don't want to do this it's too regimented controlled um, and I just wasn't a fan of that but at one point I was like I want to do work of the gut and then I realized like most people have a bit of everything most people need support in all different areas so you don't have to niche yourself in into just gut health um, because even if I'm working with a client with PCOS, for example, the gut is probably going to have to be addressed anyway. So yeah. I've tried to become more holistic in my approach. Um, but pretty much from the get go, you were like down the lane of fertility. Is that right? From when you set up your yeah. practice? Yeah, female hormones and fertility, uh, um, which like female hormones for me is so linked with the fertility, obviously, and it's more of a Sometimes I'll have women who they don't want to conceive at all, but they want support with the endometriosis or fibroids or whatever it may be, or they do want to conceive, but maybe in like the mid to long term mm -hmm. future. Um, so, yeah. And I'm just curious what made the biggest difference for your gut health? So for me, so I had parasites, so blastocystis. I went down the um really restrictive carbs lots of parasite antiparasitics mm -hmm. enemas mm -hmm. mine was like go hard and go quick um <laughs> approach which um has its downfalls <laughs> like but in hindsight you're like I could have done this a lot easier um, yeah exactly like kind of to myself it was like um bish bash bosh not that pretty um I would do it differently now but it worked and in actual mm. fact that was a good lesson for me in general that um there are so many different ways to skin a cat so to speak and different ways to do it and just because something changes and the way you change you do something changes doesn't necessarily even mean it was wrong there just might be a better way to do it mm -hmm. and what about with fertility has anything changed dramatically since you first qualified to how you're practicing now like your approach with that uh yeah I think yes um I think one of the continuing shifts that I'm making is around my language around food and like I know one of my clients the other day and I'm loving it was kind of taught she's she's a counsellor in um therapist herself and she was kind of talking about the window of tolerance and kind of that like hyper stimulation at the top that hypo stimulation underneath and her work is to get clients within that window of tolerance in the middle and I'm like ultimately that's also my job but through functional medicine is to get them in that window of tolerance but also through the language I use so I don't want to trigger someone with the language I use with food like like cringe when other nutritional therapists say like clean eating or naughty foods or oh let's make a guilt-free version of this brownie like no like that in itself is perpetuating that orthorexic kind of um, disordered way of eating so I think I've definitely made sure that I'm not creating any distorted eating in people um that's something that's definitely grown as I've been within practice um, I think also definitely 
less plant-based which I think you can definitely uh I know that's something you talk about um yes plants are important but also ideally those animal foods are vital as well whereas I was probably more plant-based when I first graduated um also more like holistic in terms of like lifestyle supports alongside it rather than just focusing on the nutritional side so like that kind of like biohacking side Mm -hmm. of things other things that can help get your body back into balance yeah um so I'd say there and also just with fertility there's usually like a flavor of the month or the year like I feel like MTHFR is like a gene mutation like the thing I think people have realized there's no missing kind of bullet here no silver bullet but they kind of move on to the next, don't they? I think that's like moment. That's gone. That was so twenty eighteen or whatever. I know. So it's like in that, and that's say like, it is now. Yeah, and like the things people ask you, like literally four years ago when I first graduated, every other person that called me was like, "Oh, what do you think about MTHFR?" Well, I don't think anyone's asked me since I've returned from that lead this time about MTHFR. I'm like, oh, oh that like anyone. Um. So, yeah, I think it's more you're guided by what your potential clients are reading because they're the things that they're asking you about. What's um, the hot topic at the moment? Yeah. What would you say? Oh, what is the hot uh, topic? Yeah, yeah. I would say, like, NK cells. I think we've mm. spoken about oh. that. It's probably one that a lot of people... And vaginal microbiome is probably the... Um, like, the vaginal microbiome... Like, the gut... If you, if you think when we started studying eight years ago eight nine years ago I still feel like gut health was fringe mm. like it was still like a bit like oh that's that's you sure like it has that much impact on health and now it's like pretty much a household recognized mm. thing even within conventional medicine and I'd say like vaginal microbiome is now like the toddler or the young child that in five ten years time will be like obviously vaginal microbiome has a massive impact on fertility yeah in the same way that gut health does so I think yeah probably NK cells is one that I seem to be getting asked about a lot about at the moment but I'd say vaginal microbiome is the new area of research that is exciting and we're going to go down a like not a deep dive but a touch more on that as we go through because in the episode today I want to share more of these common causes of fertility issues and that is one of the five that we want to talk more about today but just to touch on the nk cells a little bit more if someone's like what what does that mean do do they need to be aware of it is it important or is it just another thing that's kind of like mthfr it'll be good to know good to test but isn't the be all and end all yeah so nk cells natural killer cells which sound horrific like oh my god what are these tell me about them um are a part of your immune system that would predominantly kill viruses um and you can be tested for nk cells and there's some um research that suggests that if they are raised then that can potentially inhibit implantation functionally Although that may be true to a certain degree, I'm like, but what is raising those NK cells? Like, why? Um, So although conventional medicine would go, their go-to for raised NK cells is um, uh, steroid. Immune suppressants. Yeah, immune suppressants. Yeah. Um, 
which interestingly they weren't allowed to use during the initial lockdown because of the risk of well if you're on immune suppressants and then you get covid you may die um was the was the worry so a lot of clinics actually had to go down the antioxidant route because they had no other option at that point and did actually see a lot of clients and i know like a lot of clinics were like oh this really has helped um but then as soon as they were allowed to prescribe mm-hmm. they went back to that but for me nk cells i'm like well why are they raised what's happening within the endometrial microbiome what's happening within the gut what's happening within the nervous system um rather than just suppressing something um so and so before viruses is that like the main thing so hidden viruses or do i think it can be infections tr- trigger it yeah pathogenic bacteria as well um yeah one of they're the two two kind of main causes and what antioxidants were they using just out of curiosity i think they use most clinics were using like a mixture so i think they'd often use like a d e um yeah like the fat solubles were often the kind of go-to that i saw what about things like melatonin for and i never saw cells no no, I never saw any clinic. That was a thing for COVID, wasn't it? Like melatonin was recommended for that. It was it. I yeah. didn't. Not mainstream, obviously. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Um, interesting, but that's got so many additional benefits and less side effects than the immune suppressants. But it's not as profitable, is it? Yeah. Yeah, and there are with the way that we work it's hard to do that double blind clinical trial of one particular thing because we're looking at loads of different things to help get the body back into balance um which is like why it's so difficult to like say if someone's arguing the benefit of conventional modern medicine over complementary holistic root cause functional whatever you want to talk however you want to term it is ultimately like we think about the body completely differently (laughs) it's you're trying to fit like a round peg in a square hole or a square peg in a round hole like um we see everything as in interconnected whereas someone within conventional medicine would say well there's no double blind clinical trial for what you're recommending mm-hmm. well you can't put what we how we work in a double blind clinical trial so but do you still think they can work side by side like if you had a client already booked in for IVF what are some of the things that you would do to support them Totally. I mean, uh, would totally depend Mm. on the individual. I mean, like with functional medicine, root cause. So say we're working on egg quality, sperm quality, you're going to need a three to four month lead time to make changes. Like it takes three to four months for an egg to mature. It takes three to four months for new sperm to come through uh, for that turnover. So it's not something you can do overnight. So when someone calls me and they say, oh, I'm starting a new round of IVF next week, is there anything you can do? I'm like, no, not really, because it needs time. They'll um, hate that answer, though. They hate that, yeah, I know, yeah. <laughs> no. I mean, I have had people when they've said, like, I am st- I'm going for a round next week, but can we work together now just in case it doesn't work? And <laughs> I'm like... Yeah um going into it with a positive mindset then yeah like clearly but but I mean it's it even within IVF like people will have 
the different funding options. So some people will have bought like a 12 month package where they can like have as many rounds within 12 months as possible as like um as they want so for them it's like oh i'll just give another roll of the dice in inverted commas and if it doesn't work then i'm working with you as backup i suppose what i try to relate to clients is i mean obviously it's down there's no right or wrong with any of this but it's just the understanding i think it's really underplayed but how much going through a round of IVF can take its toll on the body. So I do really think I've worked with clients where, and they'll say like they feel it in their body, but because there's nothing like quantitative that they can pin it to, they kind of disregard it. But I'm like, their fertility has declined and declined and declined as the months and the years have gone on. Um, so I think sometimes that like trying to get people to stop, to take note, to stop chasing their tail is really difficult. So when you want a baby, you want a baby yesterday. Like saying to someone, wait three to four months, that is like a lifetime when you're mm -hmm. so desperate to hold this little baby in your arms and to get the two lines on that pregnancy test. Let me ask you a quick question. Where do you want to be in six months time? Do you want to be more energized, feeling comfortable in your skin again, excited for life because you finally started to see improvements with your health? Or do you want to still be frustrated and depressed because you're still struggling with symptoms that are taking over your life and stopping you from living to the full? If you want the first option, you have to do something different. After all, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over again and expecting a different result. If you're currently DIYing your health, meaning trying to heal yourself through researching, trial and error, and wasting a lot of money and time in the process, then you could actually be sabotaging your results. Would you try and fix your car yourself if it was broke and you didn't know what was wrong with it? No. So why are you trying to do it all alone when it comes to your the most important thing that we have, which is your health? Trust me, actually asking for help and investing in yourself saves you time, money and a lot of stress in the long run. I know you're probably not getting any answers or support from your doctor, I've been there too. But that's why I created my six month root cause relief package. This one-to-one -one package offers the highest level of support and transformation because you'd be working closely with me to help identify and address the underlying root causes of your health issues. Even if you're already eating healthily, taking some supplements, there's so much more to healing, so don't feel like you've tried everything. Let me help you figure out what's causing your stubborn symptoms which support and support your body in healing naturally, which in case no one has ever told you, is completely possible. Check out my website, which is linked in the episode show notes for more info. And there's also a link there to book in a free 20 minute enrollment call so that we can chat further about your unique situation and goals and see if it would be a good fit for us to work together. If you've been looking for a sign, this is it. And I was going to ask about the IVF process. Now, has that changed at all over the past few years? Or is there anything like upcoming that you see um, kind of potentially going to happen in the future? I would say... It's going to become like a bigger and bigger, more, more commonly used thing. I would say like the biggest theme that I've seen just generally is it's just become more transactional um the clinics 
are, I suppose, trying to make rounds cheaper, a round of IVF cheaper. But to do that, you've got to take something away, which is often the upfront investigations. Um, so I'd say it is becoming more of a churn. And I think that's what clients are relaying to me is it is becoming more of a churn. It's hard to find clinics where uh, they really kind of take stock. So I'd say that's a big, a big theme. Um, and I think that's kind of a theme. I think everything's just becoming more polarized, whether mm -hmm. it's in with IVF or whether it's just within healthcare as a whole. It's just becoming more transactional or holistic like mm. you know, the two worlds are kind of growing independently which ideally we want them to grow together so we can integrate them and take the best from both worlds that's how I see it anyway um but I don't necessarily sadly see it going in that way mm -hmm. I agree and something that I love about your work and something that I try to do too is around my language so we were talking before about the food things so not calling them sins or bad foods good foods and with fertility I know you you say the term like subfertility a lot I I sometimes say like fertility challenges because I think even the term of infertility it's a very like set thing mm -hmm. like you're infertile and it's not going to happen whereas fertility challenges or subfertility this it's kind of a more positive spin on it mm -hmm. and I think the, the words that we use, the language that we use has a massive impact with whatever condition that we have. And something that I realized with my clients is that early on when I started to practice, I would use all of these lab tests. And because I found so much benefit of getting information about my body, I would kind of do the same thing for my clients. So we'd do like all sorts of lab tests, stool tests, and then I'd not diagnose, but I, I'd tell them that they have issues with like parasites and dysbiosis and you have fat malabsorption and you have adrenal issues and then they leave the call like glad that they've got some answers after years of not having anything but then they're like oh my god and they kind of take on all of these labels as the not personality but the kind of destiny mm. and that can be really hard to undo so I've become even more cautious with the words that I use so especially with fertility um I think that's something that is is very much seen with the IVF process mm -hmm. and the medical system versus holistic and specialist practitioners like yourself um so I'm guessing that is a a thing that you're doing on purpose totally like <laughs> I mean I should say like a lot of the clients who come to me have been trying and struggling I've had less than half a dozen clients who have come to me because they've not got any hormonal issues or anything and they just want to optimize like I would love for that mm. group of people to increase because that's also important that yeah, if anyone's listening that they're in that category like please do the work do you know, the work. as much as you can like you can't always guarantee the end results but it's just gonna take so much stress and so time stress. and even money out of it like if you get things under control before they become a huge problem then that's always the the goal 100 percent. and like even give the very basic example of a female's microbiome vaginal health like if that's not tip top 
it may not impact you conceiving one iota. You may conceive in the first time you've had sex once and you're pregnant, you've had a baby. But then you'll often hear that, oh, my baby's got colic, they've got allergies, they've got eczema. Like that is so linked to so many other things later down the line that if we can really, and I think it's raising awareness without making people feel guilty if they don't want to do something. It's like getting that balance right. That that three to four months preconception phase before the egg and sperm have even met can provide such exponential difference to your future babies and your health. Um, but I don't think we often talk about that. But the people that often come to me have been struggling for a long period of time. Mm -hmm. And that is often means that they've been very done to like them been going to the doctors and the doctor's been doing tests for them they've been having IVF done to them so I think my approach is I don't want to be another like doing it to them I want them to feel empowered and enabled by us doing it together um it's kind of how I would try and reframe it and do you get the men on board too the partners Ideally, 50-50, sperm and egg health are male-female fertility are just as important um, if they're willing to come on board. So, and there's often different camps of men who are very happy to do that work and other, like, other men who aren't. I mean, typically, it is the woman who would contact me first and their partner would then also come on board too. Um, I have had instances where sperm results aren't good, but because doctors or uh, fertility specialists have said, doesn't really matter about sperm health though, because we can just do ICSI, which is where they insert a sperm into an egg. So don't worry about that. Then... But you're like, what? the quality of the sperm that you're putting in there isn't going to be good. Totally. But because they've had that, no, it's like fine. in white suit doctor title yeah. who said that you're then really trying to without and I don't it's if you're ever forcing anyone to get on board like there's going to be such jarred energy of them coming on board it's not going to work anyway they've got to want to do it so all I can do is educate and then ultimately the decision is down to them but ideally both sides of the equation for sure and are things that affect sperm kind of similar to the things that can affect egg quality? Yeah. Can we go into a, a few more of them? Because I know that that's one of the, the five common causes of unexplained fertility issues. Yeah. So for sperm health, all of the usual functional things can impact sperm health, gut, hormones, um, nutrient status. There might also be say like obstructions or varicoceles or things that actually need a urologist or an andrologist support with that is completely outside of scope and we wouldn't be able to get to the root cause of is but that we typically can... like found with regular like investigations though if they were yeah. going through like yeah. the doctor or um, yeah or at least a referral to a urologist would be able to let you know and that's um, what we that's what we should use the medical system for is to use them for things like the scans and the the structural issues or if someone has like one fallopian tube or something like that like that's where IVF really shines but it should be kind of like a last resort but it's now becoming like oh I've been trying for six months let's just push you down this route yeah like that is the solution mm -hmm. which is not 
it's even the solution or often the solution even when people have had a couple of miscarriages and it's like well they can get pregnant it's not that's not necessarily their full story um but yeah with sperm the same issues or infections can affect sperm quality i mean there's even research you know being on like the seminal microbiome like how important that is will be um antioxidant status like how dna is presenting within sperm like it's all valid and it's all important and not all of that shows up on a conventional sperm analysis that's very much like one view into looking at sperm health um it's not everything and what's the panel that you would typically so the the dna fragmentation DNA sperm fragmentation mm-hmm. kind of looks deeper into what's going on within the sperm um, and people request that if they are seeing a facility doctor or going yeah, through so IVF clinics every IVF clinic will pretty much do a sperm DNA fragmentation test there are now um lots of lots of companies of realizing that historically to get tests done it's like go to IVF clinic they do the test and then you're kind of under the umbrella of that clinic whether you want to conceive naturally or not that was the only route to go to get testing so there are lots of companies now where we're more promoting like the at-home test or like the like you can send off. So like Fertilisys, um, they do lots of fertility tests that you send off. And I'd noticed the other day they actually do a DNA sperm fragmentation that I've recommended for the first time to a client yesterday. So I've not had the results back and I've not mm-hmm. had their experience of the process. But it was a lot cheaper than going to a clinic because a DNA sperm fragmentation can be £400-ish pounds. Whereas 150. Wow. Yeah, there's lots of companies who have recognised that an IVF clinic is the only way pretty much at the moment to get lots of these tests done. But IVF might not be the answer for everyone. So, But if they've they've already got the test on, they're like, oh, we might as well just go with this because we're we're already here now. We're already signed up. So let's just do the full shebang. And when you said before, infections can affect sperm quality, is that mainly sexually transmitted infections or can it be other like gut infections? Some of the ones that we talk about um, here on the podcast or things like bacterial or fungal yeast overgrowth, parasites, can they affect the sperm? Yes, I think like the more conventional kind of like STI type ones are the ones that we would hear about and know about the most. Uh, but I think definitely any sort of systemic inflammatory response to something can ultimately impact sperm health. Um, but it's not really like a causal link of you have this infection that equals your sperm, that means your mm. sperm health will be affected. Yeah. It's mind boggling how like sometimes people can have all the things wrong with them and they've got amazing sperm or amazing. Like, and you know, it's, it doesn't always match up, um, which is mind-boggling. And the way that I think about it and describe it to clients, because it's kind of like, even not on the subject of fertility, if someone has recurring vaginal thrush, um, they might ha- it might be stemming from a systemic fungal infection, likely from the gut, because that's like the central hub of the microbiome, so this rainforest of bacteria and yeast and parasites. And if that one's off, your other microbiomes of the body are also going to be off, like the skin microbiome, the oral, the vaginal, 
even something like the bladder, um, any mucous membrane, the bacteria is going to be thrown off. But then you might have someone who has major fungal overgrowth in the gut, a woman, but she doesn't have vaginal microbiome changes. Um, it's less likely, but it can happen. Yeah, and you're like, how? Like, how, <laughs> how does it work? Mm-hmm. Um, and also I see a lot of couples where they're just passing it between mm. the two of them. Um, so how would you navigate that? Like, put them both through a protocol at the same time? Potentially, or I have, say, if the usually the male is asymptomatic um, and the female is usually not. Um, so I'll have that discussion of whether they both want to do it together, which would be the preferred option. But in actual fact, I have found that when, say, I've just worked with the woman and we've worked on the vaginal microbiome, that if we can get it robust enough, that often then, even if I haven't worked with the male, that and then they're having sex again after that, it doesn't necessarily in the future equal a flare. Mm. Um, so I suppose it's more about the resilience of the vaginal microbiome. It's like the, the immune system mm. of the vaginal microbiome. So if it's like really weakened, then any bacteria that comes in, it's like with UTIs, it's yeah. not the bacteria that's the problem a lot of the time it's that it's not being kept in check by a healthy strong immune system so you want to if there's like a real big infection and influx of bacteria and fungus coming in then it's a lot harder but if we just work on strengthening her defense mechanisms then it's less problematic 100 percent. and how common do you see sexually transmitted infections because i know that in the medical world the treatment are things like um, antibiotics and it's always like if you catch it early that's the best option but these chronic infections is that a common thing would you say I would say with, what with your client base kind of microbiome um, in terms of fertility issues I would say is like a sexually transmitted infection holding them back like by the time they've come to me they I've never had anyone with a current sexually transmitted infection because that would have been so far in the past in terms of being dealt with Mm. Uh, and if they haven't been tested then yeah we definitely need to make sure they go back and get tested but usually someone's story they've already kind of done that but what I do see is when in the past they've had a sexually transmitted infection that's been dealt with but that's thrown off their vaginal microbiome in other ways, um, which would be deemed less like serious. So they might have like recurrent BV or they might have recurrent thrush um, and they've just never quite recovered from that initial STI, which may have been like a decade ago. Like It's not even in like recent years. Um, so I suppose I am more supporting the nuanced things that can go on other things that um yeah conventional medicine can't support okay and i do want to talk more about the vaginal and endometrial microbiome in a sec but last question in terms of egg health and sperm health the biggest driver i'd say i don't know if you agree would be like this oxidative stress and inflammation so anything that's damaging the cells because they're very like sensitive um the egg and sperm so this term oxidative stress 
is basically inflammation and that's why we need antioxidants to combat that but why is there so much oxidative stress what are the big drivers do you think that's causing this inflammation in the first place because we don't want to just assume that we have a problem and start loading up on antioxidants if we've not actually fixed the underlying reasons and i know there's many so like the main ones uh so i'd say lifestyle personal care home environment so those like toxin exposure yeah yeah, within your environment Mm. um i think has a massive impact on internally and our systemic um oxidative stress so i think it's definitely looking at those areas first um i would also say internally infections um intolerances unknown allergies can also cause the oxidative stress so it's removing those barriers rather than like you say just recommending antioxidants um and also being undernourished not having enough nutrients in the first place is really can cause that oxidative stress um so i'd say those are three yeah and so many people especially women don't know that they're under under eating because they might be eating a lot of greenery and low calorie low protein foods but when you add the numbers up calorie wise not that that's like the most important when it comes to diet but it is a factor you have to like investigate further because I've definitely gone through periods of un- intentionally at one stage but then unintentionally under eating so I was trying to heal my gut and I was bloated after everything that I ate so I just didn't eat as much food and I didn't really realize that calories were still important because I'd gone the- I swung the other way like calories aren't important at all mm-hmm. but they actually are because I then had another time of my life where I've been overeating like too many calories because I was downing all the oils and nut butters and seeds and avocado and everything so calories are important people but um they're not nothing yeah, under eating thing is huge yeah under eating and like with under eating the if you think like egg and sperm they're not essential to life so they're the last thing to get they'll get like the dregs of your nutrients mm. like your brain and your lungs and your heart etc are going to kind of get first dip so it's really making sure that we're loading up on that nutrient density and um i think pretty much every client will get an organ meat suggestion (laughs) that protocol that's good same here yeah (laughs) cool so on to vaginal and endometrial microbiome is the conversation that we just had on the vaginal microbiome pretty much the same when it comes to the endometrial I think a lot of the time, but not always. So if someone is vaginally completely asymptomatic, there's no issues, um, then I wouldn't be recommend and like no history of it, but say they have had recurrent miscarriage, um, or they've just had implantation failure after lots of rounds or con- trying to conceive naturally then I would probably be saying let's more go for an endometrial microbiome um, test because I'm like, well, yes, there's a massive Venn diagram and the vaginal and endometrial do arguably overlap quite a lot, but not fully. So I do think there are instances where if they're asymptomatic, it's worth going further up your the body. 
Um, but if they are uh, symptomatic, then normally I'd go for the vaginal microbiome test. It's easier to do and it's cheaper. And I think pretty representative, most probably of the endometrium as well. And when you mean symptoms, do you mean things like miscarriages or the recurring BV or yeast more, infections? More vaginal yeah, um, symptoms rather than the fertility symptoms. So if they've had recurrent BV or recurrent thrush, um, more of those sorts of symptoms. And we... I checked the pre the very first episode that we ever did. I think it was like episode five or something of the podcast. So many years ago, um, it actually got quite a good number of downloads. And I can't remember exactly what we spoke of, but in the title, we touched on cervical mucus. So I'm just wondering how this ties into the <laughs> conversation of the vaginal and endometrial microbiome. Is there is there a connection? Like the lack of production does that mean there's a problem no I wouldn't say they're massively like linked I mean there are some links so say if a woman's got thrush constant like if they have intermittent thrush then sometimes they'll like struggle to notice fertile mucus and therefore they struggle to identify their fertile window because they're like oh is it sticky or Mm. is it more egg white wet um but you could have lots of issues with your vaginal or endometrial microbiome but equally have really healthy cervical mucus or vice versa um so i wouldn't say they're particularly directly linked okay i was just thinking if if someone's got like poor vaginal microbiome health they might not be able to produce as much i would say cervical mucus is like the start the production like that's really dependent on estrogen and hydration. I would say like the two real key things. Um, so I'd say it's more like when someone's tested low on estrogen, that kind of like under eating picture or the dehydrated, that's typically when cervical mucus is lacking. And I know that there is a home test for the vaginal microbiome. So I personally use the in vivo swab. Yeah. Um, but what about the endometrial one? Is that something that you'd need to do at a hospital or again at a clinic? So there are different options. So there's a test called Emma and Alice. So that looks at and that's a test that you would have to have done. It's iGenomics who own the test, but they sold the rights to sell it to IVF clinics. And that you would need an endometrial biopsy to do that test. So you need to go to a clinic. It's I think about it's 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 seven eight hundred nine hundred pounds somewhere in the region of that would you say it's, that's worth the like how invasive is the procedure and is, is are the results worth that procedure it's kind of like with endometriosis people are like it'd be good to find out but is the risk of the laparoscopic surgery and everything worth it like potentially getting more scar tissue i would say there's a much better way to do it that's less invasive and less expensive so fertilisis who are the company that I spoke about before, they do um, an endometrial microbiome test, but with menstrual blood. So you would send them the menstrual blood there in Greece. Um, There used to be another clinic where you always used to do it through Serum Health, again in Greece, but because of Brexit, it meant that 
like the, the menstrual blood has to get to them in a certain amount of time and if it doesn't the test is void and they can't do it and it was taking like three four weeks for the test to get to them so they were like I can't do it again hmm. um so fertilisys have kind of sorted out all of the kind of like the Brexit shipping issues and it gets to them within three to four days and I don't know why more clinics aren't promoting menstrual blood I've asked like I know Dr. Nardo, who I've spoken to before, he's a fertility gynecologist. Like, why are more clinics not doing menstrual blood? And he was just like, I don't know. Like, we're just historically like not. Like, there's, there seems to be it's no just, reason. People just think it's like this waste product and like there's nothing valuable in there. But it's like it gives you so much feedback, even just month to month with your your period when when it comes. The consistency can give you like a report card about your health. So there's definitely going to be insight if you analyze it further. The yeah. cells or like whatever's in there. Um, 100%. Yeah. And I think I think one of the big issues is, say, with the Emma and Alice, that iGenomics, they kind of sell. Um, it's always kind of like, oh, just it's just a little endometrial biopsy, nothing much. You know, and I'm like, let's stop underplaying how invasive something like that can be. Mm-hmm. And like what trauma that can, either with tiny tree tra- trauma or capital T trauma, that can have on a woman physically, mentally, emotionally. Let's just stop being like, oh, don't worry, just have mm-hmm. a little, little bit of major surgery. Yeah. No biggie. Um, when actually... Thankfully, there's companies like Fertilisys who are offering the menstrual blood test. So that would That's be so good to know. amazing. And what would be the solutions? I know it depends on like what the imbalance is, but what are some of the most common imbalances that you see? And what's like an overview? How would you treat it? Would you do things vaginally or internally or from both angles? So sorry to leave you on a cliffhanger guys, but just remember that this is a two part episode. So I'm going to leave it here for now and definitely take time to sink in and take notes on all of that juicy information that you just learned, but definitely tune in next week. Subscribe if you haven't already, because we're going to continue the conversation on underlying causes of fertility issues. And this will include things like how stress and trauma, even mindset, blockages can affect your fertility, the term luteal phase defect, what that means, why it's important when it comes to falling pregnant and how thyroid issues, typically underactive but also overactive can be a part, how they can affect your chances of conception too. So yeah, see you back here next week and I hope you enjoyed this one. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, I would love for you to leave me a rating and review on your podcast app, as this helps to support the show and it allows it to reach more people with this valuable information. Come and say hi over on Instagram. I'm at Viva Natural Health. And if you haven't already, check out my website, vivanaturalhealth.co.uk for tons more free resources and to discover how I could support you further. I currently offer one-on-one consultation packages if you want my top level support then more affordable group programs and self-paced online courses. So there really is something for everyone. If you're ready to change and get some answers but aren't sure which option would be best, take that first step today and apply for a free enrollment call on my website and we'll discuss the best steps for you to take in order to achieve hormonal harmony. 
enjoy the rest of your day and I'll see you back here next week for another episode.